The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. Welcome to the College Game Day podcast. It's Tuesday, December 13th. Uh, I am Pete Thamel, ESPN senior writer. And we come to you uh, with Reese Davis on vacation this week. And... Uh, we would normally be doing some goofy bowl picks and talking about uh, Gasparillas and, and, and such, but uh, today's podcast is uh, is going to be a little bit heavier. We're uh, we're going to remember Mike Leach, the uh, who died uh, this morning at the age of sixty one. The, the the school announced he had had some complications from heart issues, and uh, we're just going to take a minute uh, throughout the podcast. Uh, David Pollock's going to join me in a second here, and Greg McElroy is going to join us on the back end. To, to just to reflect on the on the vast legacy, the vast character um, that that Mike Leach cut a wide swath through uh, through the sport we all love. And so, uh, David, uh, you know, welcome today. I'm sure you have a heavy heart, David. Do you, do you just want to walk us through, you know, your interactions with Coach Leach? I'm sure you called his games in in Lubbock, Pullman, and uh, obviously, you know, covered him from a game day perspective uh, too. Uh, uh, just you know, what are your, what are your emotions today, and, and how are you going to remember Mike? Well, I mean, you know, when you when you think of coaches and you think of legacies, I think all coaches want to leave a cool legacy and leave a legacy of their their players that they changed their lives and that they made them better. Um, you know, in our business, I think coaches leave legacies too with us because we get to spend time with them and we get to talk to them. And Coach Leach was one of one. I mean, we can say all we want about all the other coaches across, across college football and Nick Saban being the GOAT, like, Coach Leach was different than everybody else that was in this profession. And that's really, really cool to say. And, you know, not only his, his football acumen, which is, which is well-documented, and if you don't know, all, really all you got to do is watch the Heisman Trophy ceremony. I mean, if you watch that, the winner was, was Caleb Williams. Lincoln Riley is his coach who coached under Mike Leach. You look who finished uh, second with Duggan again, who finished fifth, Hendon Hooker. All these guys either coached under or played under Coach Leach and in his offensive philosophy and the way he did it. And it was just so different, man. You look at you look at all these OCs on the sidelines and they've got these laminated sheets that have 6,467 different plays. And Coach Leach had like a tiny little piece of paper. And so, I mean, you know, it, it was his personality when talking about you know, different things. I, I just don't think you could ask him a question where you didn't get a response that was Coach Leach and unique and unique. Like with College Game Day for years, we did a we did a thing called Shallow Musings with with Coach Mike Leach, <laughs> and and it was just random questions that people would ask him, and we just sat back and admired the way he answered them because he had just an interesting. He took it in. He digested it. You could see the, the the wheels spinning, and then he gave you an intellectual, honest answer of of what he thought. And I just I can't imagine the the family and, and the friends around him because I, I know there's a, a hole in their hearts that um, that can't be replaced with a guy that was so unique and and, and so different. 
Do you remember the first game you called of his, David? I don't. I do no. not remember. We it was probably so Tech, right? It was probably yes. it when he was at Tech. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So I'm curious. You you come out of Georgia. You're you're a hand in the dirt guy. Uh, early 2000s. You were first round pick. And I'm imagining here that you you look at football through a line of scrimmage prism, right? That would be that would be inherently the point of view that you had as oh, a yeah. player. I, I'm curious as. He changed football really with the air raid. Was there a was there a point where you were skeptical of it and then eventually embraced it because it, you know you kind of lived as a player the early part of that? Urban Meyer is at Utah. I want to say yep. your senior year. Uh, Mike's Mike's chucking it around in Lubbock. Football's changing around you a little bit. Uh, it, it was a little slower to the SEC. I'm just curious your prism of that change and, and I, I would think you probably were a little more uh, reluctant to embrace it. A hundred percent reluctant. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I admired the way Coach Leach, Leach talked about the offensive line and defensive line, like because he always placed a high premium on that, even though he was a spread guy and they wanted to chuck it around. And I think that for me, that was the thing that like I was slow to warm up to all this because to me, the more you spread it out, the more the softer you got. And mm-hmm. I looked at football like spread meant soft because I just grew up in an era where you bring it in and you man up and who's the most tough and physical. And so the more it continued to change, and then you saw, you know, Urban Meyer have his version of the spread and you saw it was still physical. It was still tough with Tebow. And you, you saw more versions of the spread and you saw it, it continue to grow and grow and grow. And I just, I play, so I place a premium on being able to run the football because that's how I grew up in football. And now, you know, you saw that, what, what you appreciate about it, Pete, when you really get to know it and when you grow and you get out of your own lens of why you look at things is not everybody's created equally. Not everybody has the talent to do what Alabama did for years and, and hit you in the mouth. And not everybody has the same, you know, players and the same system. So how do I build a system that allows me to compete and beat guys that are bigger, faster, stronger? And I think Coach Leach, Leach's brain and his ability to do that and develop systems and develop wide receivers that think, you know, they don't just run a route to run a route. They, they think and they see and the quarterback has to be on the same page. Hey, let's not practice 40,000 plays. Let's dial in six plays and, and do it against every single look and be great at it. Instead of having all of these plays, we're just going to do a couple. And, and listen, he's just a – he was just – he was a, a, a tough guy. You look at his quotes on who, what he said about his players, not, not everybody's going to like it, but it goes back to a guy that played, B, played rugby at BYU and was just tough, no nonsense. And the guy in your life that literally would say whatever you needed to hear, not what you wanted to hear. He'd talk about your, your girlfriends. You can, <laughs> you can know those quotes. He'd talk about how, how much you like ball. He'd talk about pirates and Geronimo and had other interests outside of football. But, um, you know, his system, I think you really you develop that system and you garner that system and you and you take it to where it is now. So where I'm watching Monday Night Football and Cliff Kingsbury is a is a guy that, that played for Mike Leach and learned under mm-hmm. Mike Leach and, and is bringing that to Monday Night Football in the NFL. So a lot of our listeners probably don't know, David, like what a production meeting is for a TV broadcast and, and the dynamics of that. Can you maybe walk us through a Mike Leach production meeting and set the scene a little bit on, on, on what one is for, uh, for folks who, who obviously are looking for a peek behind the curtain? 
Well, when you go into production meeting, your whole goal is to, to sit down with the coaches and really get a get an idea of what their what their brand is, how they do their styles. So you can educate America. So you can tell mm -hmm. America, like, you know, listen, this is their founding principles. This is their building blocks. This is how they want to do it. Ninety nine point nine percent. I'm sorry. Every coach beside Coach Leaks. OK, <laughs> every production meeting feels very, very similar. OK, very. This is what we do. This is how we do it. This is what we want to be. And Coach Leach is, you might talk about Vikings. You might talk about Geronimo. You might talk about a, 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 a maiden voyage ship, a ship that it's a historical lesson of something. You could tell he was a learner. You know, he was an author that wrote a couple books and he just, he just would get on tangents and different things. And you talk about the most random things in the history of the world because that's where his brain went. Like, so it was just a, it was different. It, it was more than football. You could always garner and, and glean something from it. And he always had a, a reason why he said it. It just wasn't for, you know, I remember him talking about swinging a sword. And obviously mm -hmm. he wrote the book, Swing the Sword. Yeah. And I remember him literally standing in his office. And by the way, he's talking about the, the methods and the reasoning of why you do swing the sword and why he tells his kid, like, you can't be crazy with it. And you can't swing it all the way out here where you can't defend yourself. Like you've got to be, you know, as you practice, you've got to be skilled with your sword. It's got to be right here in the pocket where I can attack, where I can defend myself. And it's just like that on the football field. So it, it was, it was truths that, you know, coaches are always looking for truths that pull over to, to football sure. and ways to, you know, magnify and accentuate their points and bring them into the football world. Just nobody did it like Coach Leach and in his way and in his delivery. So uh, I'll be curious. Uh, so I'd often over the years got to know Mike uh, fairly well. Um, I don't want to exaggerate how close you are, but, you know, call it like a lot of coaches. You call him two or three times a year in, in my job and they give you some quotes and you talk. And uh, I bet you didn't call him unless you had an hour. Oh, no. Well, that's the thing. I call them less over the years because like and again, it was an enjoyable conversation. But it's, you know, 46 minutes later. I'm talking about quarterbacks, how spread quarterbacks translate to the NFL. And well, the thing that, that he always asked me about, I live in South Boston, Mass. Do you know who Whitey Bulger is, David? Uh, sounds familiar. Whitey Bulger was a gangster who lived in South Boston and he was number one on the FBI's most wanted list uh, for a number oh, of years. Wow. He got, he got caught in Santa Monica in 2011 and it was like a big story. And so uh, the first time I met Leach, I told him I live in South Boston. He he read books about Whitey Bulger. He wanted to know about Whitey Bulger. What street did I live in? I lived near this house that was in one of the books, et cetera. So <laughs> it became an ongoing 15-year conversation because Whitey Bulger gets captured, and he's curious about all that. Whitey Bulger, that was 11. I think he got tried in 2013, and Leach wants to know, like, what's the trial like? What's it there? So we would talk a lot about Whitey Bulger. I mean, a lot about South Boston gangsters, a lot about all the sort of characters in, in Bulger's universe. And this, there's a bunch of movies made about him. Leonardo DiCaprio was in one of them. You know, like, so it was just this like ongoing dialogue, but it wasn't cursory. He really wanted to know. And that was, oh, yeah. I, was I was thought that that was like the difference with Mike Leach. He, uh, Ralph Russo from the AP uh, tweeted this today. He said, Mike Leach was always curious about others, you know? And so I would often want one quote for my story on spread quarterbacks on the NFL, spend 46 minutes, look at my notes and be like, he did not say a damn thing about the one thing that I was calling him for. And it's just like, you know, I got a deadline and, but you're, 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 you're frustrated, but you're also laughing too. Cause you just sort of got the, the, the Mike, the Mike Leach whiplash where you're just like bandied around in all these different directions. And then he's like, how about this? He, 
did have a particular disdain for officials, which I'm sure came up in uh, in, in your meetings. That was certainly one of his uh, one of his things over the years. And I, I will say this: he's he's what every coach wants to be. I feel like David. He said exactly what was on his mind at all times, and yeah. that got got him in trouble at times. But I do feel like every coach wants the stuff. Every coach wants to say he just said. But but it's just like it's just like you know Charles Barkley and yeah. and people in the media. He could do it. Yes. Not everybody can get away with it. Most people are getting called to the carpet and are going to get fired. And, you know, you talk about somebody's <laughs> fat little girlfriends, you know, people <laughs> are getting in trouble and issuing apologies. And I mean, he, he just had a different way of going about his business. But I, I do love what you said there because he did legitimately care. And yes. I remember Lincoln Riley. I think it was Lincoln Riley telling a story about how he was with Coach Leach and Coach Leach answers his phone is like, hello. He's like, and he, he said he could tell he had no clue who it was. And he said, 30 minutes later, the call drops. And he picks up the phone. He's like, oh, the call dropped. And, and Lincoln said he's doing his own stuff and going over stuff and doing, it, doing his thing. And he was wondering. He's like, I doesn't sound like he knows who he's talking to. He, he picks it up and he calls the person back. And he's like, hey, hey, it's me again. Like, you know, hey, and, and carry on the conversation for another 20 minutes. And when he hung up, he was like, who was it? He was like, I have no clue. But legitimately, like, <laughs> liked people, liked conversation, liked dialect. Um, you know, his, his story about what he did in the Texas OU game, oh. you know, his, his year at OU is infamous that needs to be told. And if you don't know it, it's one of the greatest stories you'll ever hear. He purposely wrote out a script, a fake script of play calls. You know, OU was far behind Texas at this point in 99. And they weren't great. I think they were like a five-win team. And he wrote out a script, purposely dropped it, where Texas, he knew Texas people would find it and literally drops it, had, had a corresponding, you know, playlist. He made sure they saw it, made sure they found mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. A GA took it over to the coach. They looked at it. They get up 17 nothing like that. I mean – in the blink yeah. of an eye, they get up on Texas because he planted this script that they would find so he could use it against them. And Texas was better, and they ended up flipping the script and, and coming back and winning. But who does that? Who, who, who is going to make a fake script, You know, set the trap, bait the hook, give it to them, and, and do something like that? It, it's only a guy like Mike Lynch. Now, remind me timeline-wise in your career, David, were you on game day in, I believe it was 08, the Crabtree game, when they upset Texas as number six in the, Okay, you weren't there. Because I want to say there's like Kirk was right in the corner of the end zone. I remember one of our meetings, that play got shown, and I, I think Kirk is like and standing Fowler. there. Him and Fowler, Fowler yes, I think, are standing yes, beside yes. each other, like pulling on each yes, other, like, holy crap, yes. did you see that? Yeah, because Crab kind of catches the ball about the five or six, and he wriggles and, and then scoots in. And that was, you know, one of the more iconic upsets, I would say, of that decade. Um, just oh, because yeah. if you look back at the talent on those Texas teams and, uh, you, you know, it was, uh, it, it was, it was that, but I, I, I was just curious if you were there. Cause that was, that's one of those that you'd remember where you were standing and you, you'd remember, uh, you, you'd remember where you were. So I'm going to just read this tree really fast here to, uh, to, to sort of precursor my next question for you. So this is from Mississippi state's, uh, press release this morning, announcing coach Leach's passing, uh, his true of head coaches, Lincoln Riley, Dave Aranda, Sonny Cumbie, Dana Holgerson, Seth Luttrell, Art Bryles, Ken Wilson, 
Neil Brown, Josh Heupel, Eric Morris, Sonny Dykes, Cliff Kingsbury, Ruffin McNeil, and then current assistant coaches. A couple of those guys are assistants now too. Uh, Wes Welker, Bill Biedenbaugh, Robert Anai, Alex Grinch, Brandon Jones. Um, you know, so that's that's a pretty good swath of uh, crazy college football uh, coast to coast. Uh, Obviously Wes is in the NFL. There's some NFL football in there. You're a guy who studies a ton of film and a ton of scheme. How would you quantify the impact of the air raid, the impact of leech and how it's reverberated through football today, David? Uh, It's definitely, it's definitely changed it. It's definitely, um, it's, it's definitely taken. And again, you, you always, as a, as, a, as a guy that does what we do, you've always been like, okay, what happens when, when you get that type of system with elite athletes? Because Mike Leach, had, Mike Leach had to do it at, at Texas Tech. Mike Leach had to do it at Washington State. Lincoln Riley, you know, one of the first real ones to do it at Oklahoma. You know, now at USC, when you have elite QBs, elite wide receivers, guys that can kill people on the outside. So I think what you've seen is, You've seen this system thir- just thrive and flourish, and 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 everybody be really, really good at it because because it doesn't take up it doesn't take a five star QB that can throw it and read the defense yeah. at nauseum. You could you can be a different type of kid. You can you can have a little bit lesser of an arm. You've got great instincts, and you're you've got some moxie about you. Like you look you look at recent guys like Gardner Minshew. You know, like sure. he was just eclectic and different. And I think you. You can win with different type of skill sets. And, and I think that's the biggest thing. You'll see that more across college football because if, if you learn it, if you study it, if you pick Leach's brain, if you pick other people's brains, it's not like we're trying to you know invent football and do all this new type of stuff. We're trying to take it and master the little things and master a couple plays and um, you know be really good at it. So I said a lot of that you know stuff in the beginning, but I think – it shows you that um, it just shows you that you can win everywhere. And, and I'm interested to see the first guy like Lincoln that wins a natty with it, you know, because yeah. it's been, sure. it's been, it, it's been reluctantly looked at. It's been like guys like me back in the day, like you talked about that. I was like, wait a minute, where's the toughness element to this. But then you, you start to see it now and there's not a place in the country that you can't win with it at. So one of my favorite Leach games ever came uh, in the 2020 COVID season. So it was the the big storyline. He gets hired at Mississippi State from Washington State. Can Mike Leach win in the SEC? Now, again, he in the air raid had been at Kentucky with Hal Mummy, and they won, obviously, uh, historically there. Uh, uh, Tim Couch became the number one pick in the draft. So they open up in Death Valley at LSU. LSU sixth in the country. They just won the national title. And they just absolutely de-pantsed them up and down the field, up and down the field. And was that KJ uh, Costello? It was KJ Costello, who didn't do really a darn thing after that, to be honest with you. There, he did he not had have a, a great... He had a day, though, bro. He oh man, he had a day. It was it was something like 600 yards, and I remember, uh, you know, it was, it was COVID that year, so we weren't going out to uh, weren't going out to games as as much. But but I remember writing that, yeah. So KJ Costello went 36 of 60 for 623, five touchdowns, two interceptions, and again, one of the great parts of Mike Leach is like. 
if that stat line was injected in 1995 when I was a freshman in college, you would that, that just didn't exist in football. It just didn't happen. And he has made that stat line like a like a norm. I, I saw on Twitter today either had, I think he had six different quarterbacks who threw for more than 600 yards in a game, which is just like which is just silly and uh, insane. But that that day I, I remember writing a column on uh, on Leach and I dubbed him the best bad job coach in the history of college football. Because at that point, he did it in Lubbock. And I mean, look, they were a legitimate national title contender in Lubbock, Texas. It's mind-bending. He did it in Pullman, Washington. Um, you know, one of the one of the hardest places to win on the map. They won 11 games in 18. It's the best season in school history. And, and then he goes to Starkville, walks into Death Valley, and just waltz up and down the field for 623. It just that was that was what is one of those days where you're just sitting there chuckling and he's laughing and you know. Um, you know, he's talking about the ghosts in Tiger Stadium. That, that, oh, to yeah. me, that one always just that one. That was just sort of one of those like searing moments that that uh, that will be remembered. He had a few nice quips afterwards. Yeah, of course, those only that only Leach could drop in there. Um, but uh, but no, I mean, a, a system that believed in like, listen, run game be danged. And and how does that work? How how do you? How do you play football without two elements? We need balance. We need to run the football. We need to then play action and blow. Yeah, no, we can just throw it 700 times if we need to. <laughs> we, it's about moving the football, and we can pass the football short enough and, and, and precise enough and accurately enough that that's our run game. And, you know, that was obviously back in the day that was not considered possible. And Coach Leach was like, no, you can do it, and, and we do it, and we do it well. And you saw it, and definitely you saw it in three different conferences. Salt in the yeah. Big 12, very successful. Salt in the Pac-12, very successful. And then you got to see it, you know, late in his career in the SEC. Yeah, I uh, I, I enjoyed what you said about the, the the coaches with these these you know menus. Like like uh, I I joked I did a tribute to Mike uh, on Tuesday on ESPN.com, and I said basically all these like geniuses have their cheesecake factory menus where there's like yeah. you, know, you, can, you, can, you can sit through. And he had like it was like an airplane snack box menu. It's like do you want the one with the olives? Do you want the one with the meat? Do you want the one with Doritos? Like yeah, that's that was basically the uh, the, uh, the the long and the uh, by the, the way everything you. See say makes me think of a Mike Leach quote too yeah. over the years like you just talked about food I, I remember are you the chicken or the egg like yes. I, I, are you, the pigs committed like are you the are you I mean there's just so many I remember uh god I remember him talking about at Pac-12 media days I want to say it was like a Pac-12 battle royale of mascots yes. like yes. who would win and why and and like immediately and by the way you know good and well he didn't practice this no. but 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 had the he's so brilliant and had the mind yes. where he could just immediately start to put things together and be like yeah Arizona you know Arizona yeah the, the, the wildcat they couldn't do this couldn't do that and just <laughs> went through the diatribe of that and like any any kind of question you ever wanted to ask about anything random um, I, I remember him talking about tracking a raccoon in his neighborhood like he he just and he thought that the the people that he was like I tracked it through the snow and watched the watched the raccoon and I watched its prints and traced it back to the house. And he's like, I don't think the people even knew that the raccoon was living in its house. Like <laughs> it just, I mean, I just don't, I, I don't know that that will ever exist in college football. Again, a guy that was, was so unique and so different and eclectic and um, would answer any question and entertain anything, talk to anybody, anytime, uh, any place, anywhere. And, um, and didn't take himself, 
too serious. This was a genius. And you read his coaching tree and he, all these guys that he impacted and changed. And he, but he still looked at himself, I think, like a regular guy that could talk about regular things. And, and football wasn't the end all be all that consumed him to the point where he couldn't talk about anything else or he got defensive when you asked him a question about something else. Yeah, no, I do think there was always an undercard. He didn't play. Um, now, in my lifetime covering college football, um, the the list of coaches who did not play college football is a pretty short one. I believe Kenny Dillingham is on that list, actually. I think he was a student assistant at Arizona State. Charlie Weiss was on that list at a certain uh, at a certain period of time. Now, again, uh, I believe Mark was on that list, too, I believe. So uh, the list is is probably less than a dozen in the last 20 years that, that I can recall. I'm sure there's a there's another guy or two who flared up and, uh, and, and and did not. But just to again, I think it all adds to that to that perspective. And to reiterate what you said, like, again, we're lucky we get to go to all these cities and talk to all these coaches and, you know, hear them and, and learn from them and develop them. It is an increasingly homogenized group, David, meaning like these guys start to all look and sound the same. And look, they make eight, $10 million a year. A lot of them, they're, they, they operate in front of camera, in front of us in a manner now that's what can I say to attract the least attention? What can I say to not get fired? How do I handle the media? It's, is really how they look at it. Like they, they pay people $5,000 a month to consult on how to handle the media. And I just think that's, uh, that's natural with where we're going, right? NFL coaches have similar help and, and do that. And I think just diving into, you know, some of Coach Leach's, uh, you know, greatest hits, for lack of a better term, in terms of interactions with me, I do think that's one of the things that, that we're going to miss is just like the, the, the originality of it, the, 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 the lack of fear to say exactly what was on his mind, to be, to take, you know, to take it's, it's spring practice six. We don't need to talk about, you know, tight end depth. We can, we can, we can sort of have a little fun here. And I mean, look at the, at its core and we're, we're part of it. It's a billion dollar entertainment business. Right. And I think Mike yeah. Leach knew that and understood that better than most. Yeah. And, and when you're not a player, like it's not the end of the world. Um, that you didn't play football, but you got to realize too, and, and I'm talking about as a player in the locker room, like when you're telling me to do something and you're trying to hold me accountable, like when I know you've done it, it makes it easier. It, it's just mm -hmm. an easier process. I mean, right, wrong, and different. It's probably the same thing for your business. Like yeah. you're going to talk to people that were very successful in, in their field and you like, okay, they did it. They walked it. They knew how to handle X, Y, and Z. And, and Mike, you know, never playing and talking to kids nowadays, and especially as the generations got, um, you know, they, they continue to grow and expand and get different and, and less and less um, more about like, like, like back in the day, you know, you could, you could tell somebody probably in your day, Pete, like if your dad told you to go dig a hole, you'd be like, what do you want it? Yeah. And, and, and that's evolved to now to why, why am I digging a hole? Like, so to be able to go through generations, you know, and decades and decades and decades and continue to be able to relate to kids and, um, you know, and build that credibility like he built throughout the years because of, again, if you didn't play, you got to have other qualities that, that make me believe that what you're saying is correct. And, and it was clearly the mind of what he could think up and what he could do and, and how he could phrase things to you. And, and, I actually have a buddy that I that's I'm really good friends with that lives right down the street and his daughter plays basketball with me. He played for for Coach Leach, and huh. uh, 
He just told me uh, he, he, asked, he kept asking me the last couple of days. Uh, he played Georgia Southern for Coach Leach or, or somewhere. Valdosta. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yep. I knew South South Georgia. Played Valdosta with Coach Leach. And, and he said, he goes, I don't have any great stories. He goes, but he said, everything we talked about, the son of a gun knew something about it. And, <laughs> and I think that spoke to, like, I, I think that spoke to him being a learner. You know, him mm-hmm. being a guy that, was okay in realm in different realms and learning about, you know, whether it's pirates and Geronimo and all the different things that you've heard him talk about over the years. That was, was so cool because it was, it's kind of dorky, right? Like it's kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind of not cool, but coach Leach is like, I don't give a crap what you think. I don't give a crap of what you say. Like, this is me. I'm, I'm me and I'm, I'm going to do me. And that's, that's what I know how to do. Yeah. I think that's a good way to uh, to put a bow on it, David. Uh, appreciate your thoughts. And obviously, our thoughts and prayers go to Mike Leach, his family, the vast network from Valdosta to Pullman to Iowa Wesleyan to Lubbock, uh, you know, to Finland, where he was a head coach for a year, uh, to BYU, where he went to college. I mean, he touched every corner of this football universe and uh, prayers with his family during this difficult time. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Joining us now on the College Game Day podcast is ESPN analyst Greg McElroy. Uh, Greg hosts the Always College Football podcast. He also hosts McElroy and Kubelik with our colleague Cole Kubelik in the morning. And uh, Greg, for the purposes of this conversation, is a former Mike Leach recruit and commit, I believe, Greg. You, you, yeah. you go quite quite a ways back with uh, quite a ways back with Coach Leach. We're obviously spending the morning on the podcast here, uh, remembering Coach Leach, reflecting on his legacy. Uh, wondering if you had, you had a few minutes to walk us through uh, your time getting to know Coach Leach uh, back when he was at Texas Tech. Well, I I got to be honest. Um, you know, I'm not sure I'd, I'd be where I am now professionally if not for Coach Leach. Um, I don't know what I would have become as a player if not for Coach Leach. Uh, I, I honestly, uh, owe him a lot and I've known him for 20 years and the news of his passing, um, or the news, you know, when, when I had kind of found out things weren't looking good, man, it hit me hard, um, really hard. And, and I think like all of us, right. Everyone has a coach leech story. Everyone has mm-hmm. something that they remember him by. Uh, I have a million, um, having been recruited by him and having, uh, having been committed to him at one point and and having um, just kind of gone through that process with him. I, I know that a lot of people have, but um, you know, mine was a little bit unique. I, I was only a one-year starter in high school. Um, I, I did not see the field very much in my sophomore or junior year as a backup. And Mike Leach made an offer to me before the end of my junior year, which at that time was like, that never happened. Um, everyone got recruited their junior year if they were a player. And if they didn't play, you wouldn't get recruited because you didn't have tape. 
But I always believed in my heart that I, I think I'm good enough, but I, I didn't really know, you know, I mean, I, mm. I, the guy in front of me, Chase Daniels still playing the league, but you know, none of us knew, I mean, <laughs> how good anyone was at that point. Um, Chase was going D1. I didn't think I was that much worse than him, but I, I knew, and it's so much about playing quarterback is being confident in your own abilities and believing in yourself. And if you don't believe in yourself, you're not going to be a very good quarterback. Well, I didn't really believe in myself until Mike Leach made me believe in myself. Uh, and when he extended an offer to me before I started the game, that made me realize like I, I'm good enough. Like if that guy right there who whose offenses score as many points as they do, and they can have that type of quarterback play. And at that point, it was Cliff Kingsbury and BJ Simmons and Sonny Cumbie. And man, I'm, I'm good enough. And like that changed my life. Uh, and, and starting to believe in myself at that point was significant. And, and I will always be, uh, indebted to that experience. Um, ultimately I didn't end up playing for him. Um, but I will always be grateful for the confidence that he provided me and the relationship that we were able to cultivate. Great. That's a really interesting moment in time and in window in time you uh, you bring up with Coach Leach. I did pull up your uh, rivals recruiting page from uh, from 2006. It's not actually etched in the side of a cave. It still exists on the uh, on the <laughs> internet. And uh, I, I'm curious. Walk me through. That's obviously a very specific transformative moment in your uh, in your career. Walk me through the why of that. Had he seen you in the spring? I, I just think it's a good window into his mind a little bit. He clearly was a convicted guy, right? Mike Lee wasn't a guy who just went with the went with the flow on things. What, what what do you remember about that process and him offering you and and what made him convicted? Well, I think I was benefited by their starting quarterback at the time being similar in stature mm -hmm. and their starting quarterback at the time, who was Sonny Cumbie, I might add. Now he's the sure. head coach at Louisiana yeah. Tech. We were similar in stature and we were somewhat similar um, in just our approach to the game, cerebral players, accurate players, um, but also guys that were relatively inexperienced prior to being thrust out in the spotlight. Go get, go get it done. So I think I was benefited and he said, okay, well, I see some similarities with Greg and Sonny. Um, and he was an interesting individual in the way he kind of evaluated quarterbacks. Like he wanted a guy that was going to come in and not expect to play. So he never really wanted to go after the guy that was the five-star do everything. I'm going to start as a true freshman type of guy. Like mm -hmm. I'm, would he have welcomed that? Possibly. Yeah, <laughs> if, sure. if Matt Stafford wanted to be a Texas Tech Red Raider that year, <laughs> like I wouldn't have been extended an offer. Um, but that's okay. Uh, you know, I, I look at uh, just kind of how he was. He believed that he very much believed in the 10,000 hour. Uh, and the reason why I know that um, is because we talked about it extensively on my recruiting visit. Um, <laughs> he believed in it took 10,000 hours to master something and that you would need thousands upon thousands upon thousands of reps before you could capably run the system the way it needed to be run. Now, there were examples in his tenure at Texas Tech and at Washington State, and obviously even as most recently as Will Rogers at Mississippi State. I mean, there are examples of guys that played early, but really they're in the 2000s, man. It was like, all right, well, you're a fifth-year senior. You finally got enough reps. You can start. So go in there, uh, BJ Simmons, break every passing record conceivably <laughs> known to man. Go in there, Sonny. Sonny Cumbie, go, go and get it done. Uh, the following year was Cody Hodges. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the year after that, it was, it was Graham Harrell, who... Goodness gracious, I can't believe he started for three years. You know, I mean, like that. Yeah, sure. I, I can't believe he's starting a redshirt sophomore like this guy. Uh, so that was kind of breaking the mold. 
Um, and then Taylor Potts. But even if you look at his time at Washington State, a lot of veteran quarterbacks, a lot of fifth-year guys. Um, but he believed in repetition, and he believed in, and it would take thousands upon thousands of reps before you are actually capable of running the system at the highest possible level. Um, he obviously adjusted and adapted down the road to be wing, willing to go with the youngest player at the position in a Will Rogers, but at that time he was he was very different. So I think he wanted the under the radar guy that was that had a chip on his shoulder that wanted to go in and prove everybody wrong. And if you look at the quarterbacks, I mean, they were all in some cases, walk-ons and or under-recruited guys. Um, so he identified those guys early in the process and and obviously looking at the success that they had. Um, I mean, they put up ridiculous numbers for a very, very long time. Sure. So you meet Mike Leach when you're 15, 16, some, somewhere around there. And then obviously- give or, yeah, give or take 15, probably 15 or 16 in that vicinity. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I see you're in the uh, smiling here in the uh, uh, class of 06, eventually obviously committed to uh, Alabama on your uh, on your rival's profile. So we're talking 15 years later and you've had a, a different relationship with him as a recruit. Then you were obviously a college football player and then you transitioned from pro football to become an analyst where you covered him. I'm just wondering if you could walk us through, Greg, how that relationship with Mike evolved through that time. I'm sure Mike was never was always one to bust chops. So I'm sure <laughs> your uh, your decommitment came up a, a time or two. But I'm just wondering if you can reflect on on that a little bit and and how that relationship changed it it did uh it it came up several times i might (laughs) add uh you know coach leach like you said was always one to kind of poke at you and give you a hard time which i always appreciated because i'm kind of that way too um but I mean, he would always say, Hey, we threw it more in one game than you did in the season. How does that feel? <laughs> uh, you know, things like that. Um, so, you know, comments like that. Um, and then at first, when we first started to kind of interact in this realm, uh, he was at Washington state and we got an assignment out, uh, in Los Angeles. Um, and Washington state was having a great year. Gardner Minshew was having a great year. They were going down playing SC on a Friday night and he refused to acknowledge that he knew who I was refused (laughs) just to just to bust me I had to say coach Greg McElroy oh Greg nice to meet you like I mean just completely went out of his way and then Dave Nickel who you know God rest his soul as well Dave Nickel on the field came over and gave me the biggest hug he said his coach pretending to to not know who you are. And I said, yeah, he goes, yeah, he's done that to everybody that's decommitted to him. And he's seen down the road, like whether it be in games or whatever, like he never forgets. Um, so that was a really good stick there the first time. And then we went to Pullman uh, a couple weeks later in the season, they were playing Cal and he did, he acted like we were best friends. So it was a 180 <laughs> from where he was in LA. So with him, you're always kind of on your toes, right? It's like, all right, hang on to it. What, what, first of all, what's he going to talk, want to talk about today? Uh, what's he, you know, what's he have an interest in this week? Um, we seldom talked about football, but our relationship evolved because I think he is what's amazing about coach Leach. It doesn't matter if you are a billionaire that lives in key West on a $25 million house next door to him, uh, you know, <laughs> or a guy that, that just was trying to get by making ends meet. And, and to me, uh, I was, I'm, I was really astonished at how he can relate to people because of how eccentric and how how he just had interests that were all over the map. I remember when I was telling him coming out, I was like, I kind of have an interest in ar- in architecture. And that was in high school. And we talked about how many 
rooms needed to be in a house for the house to be functional. And, you know, then that was a 30 minute conversation. <laughs> and then it's transformed to, you know, Key West and the Gulf. Now he knows I live in Alabama. He, we've talked a lot about the Gulf and in particular Florabama, which is by his account, the greatest bar in the world. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, so, you know, we, we just, I think it's evolved to where there was a, an appreciation. I think he took great pride in, in the fact that he was the first one to to acknowledge that I could play in the Division One level at the Power Five level. Uh, I think he took great pride. And even though it wasn't for him, he was always very, very appreciative and always very respectful um, uh, of, of my decision, uh, even though he disagreed with it at the time. Uh, and that conversation was a painful one and one that I will never forget. Uh, but it was one that was necessary and kind of allowing me to explain my reasoning as a 17 year old dude for why I was going to go to Alabama and make that decision. But I think he, he was proud that I went on and, and was able to play at a, at a high level at Alabama and went on to become a player. Cause he was right. That I think has kind of allowed our relationship to really grow over the years. We have still mutual acquaintances. Him and my dad remained friends for quite a while. Um, it just, he was a great, great person and, and it didn't matter, uh, I think what I've learned most from him is that you don't like, we all live in this world of analytics, right? And you Mm -hmm. do things by the book because that's what the probability says to be successful. Mike Leach does not care about analytics. He does not care about run pass balance. He does not care about anything. He wants, he believes in what he believes and he's strong in his convictions. Uh, People will say that's to a fault, but he, he believed in his way of doing things. And I think, that's applicable in football, sure, but that's also applicable in life. Like, I think it's so easy to be influenced by those around you, people telling you how obscure you are, how it doesn't, how what you do doesn't belong, how what how you do things need to be adjusted so that you can kind of fall in line with how things are supposed to be in this world. And Mike Leach just never did that, and I really admire that. And that's something that I will always remember, is that. There are more than one way. There's more than one way to skin a cat. Like you can win a lot of football games like he did. And you look at his three stops and the games that he won and the seasons that he had, who few have done it better uh, than him at the places that he was at. Um, and I think that even though his methods were different, it's okay because it was ultimately about the result. And I, I think that that's something that we can all learn from and, and apply to our own life down the road. Yeah, that's really well said, Greg. Let, let's wrap with this. Uh, you obviously reflected on Mike as a person. His his schematic and on-field legacy is certainly one that's vast. You look at the trees and such. But right. I'm curious if your perspective, you're a Texas high school quarterback growing up in the era where offenses start to open. Now, I don't know if the air raid Texas high schools had quite started to run it yet in 06-ish when you were, 05, 06-ish when you were there. But you you go from there, you go to Alabama where the SEC didn't really adapt it. Maybe Urban brought some of that stuff, but it just was like the early times it changed. And then right. you obviously go on to the NFL around 10 where some of that stuff started to, started to creep up when you got drafted by the Jets. So just walk me through a little bit about how you saw those changes kind of in real time from your position as a, as a player. Well, it, it is, it's a really good observation, and there's a lot of truth to every single layer that you just hit on. Um, I remember part of the reason when I was getting recruited to Alabama over Texas Tech and other schools were recruiting me against Texas Tech, they were like, he never goes under center. 
Well, you know, you're how like that. That's never going to play on Sunday. Well, sure enough, if you look at the percentages that Tom Brady spends in the shotgun, and yeah. you know, <laughs> and all the other quarterbacks now, Peyton Manning, how many, what percentage of the time he spent in the shotgun, uh, to see how you know it really infiltrated its way up, and there's resistance at the higher levels, right? Sure. Well, there's resistance. No, we, we that's not going to work up here. Well, it works. Even in the SEC within college, people say, well, it might work in the Pac-12, might work in the Big 12, and ain't going to work down here. Well, it works. And albeit maybe not championship level success, but that, that doesn't matter. I mean, ultimately, there's a place for it because it neutralizes whatever talent advantage may exist. And I think there's there's, I think it's amazing to me, and I've said this for really years and years and years. I, I honestly don't think there is a bigger influence in college football than what Mike Leach has been in in the recent you know twenty five year history of college football. I mean, you look at the coaches that have been on his tree, and not just offensive coaches. I think it'd be easy to say, well, look at Sonny Dykes, Josh Heupel, Lincoln Riley. Like it'd be easy to go look at the offensive coaches, but how about the fact that Dave Aranda spent time mm-hmm. on his staff? How about the fact that Ken Wilson, who's at Nevada, spent time on Leach's staff? Uh, Ruffin McNeil, who was a great defensive coach at East Carolina, he spent time on his staff. I mean, it. There are a handful of guys on both sides of the ball that have come from that Mike Leach tree and that Mike Leach system. Um, and there's there's Alex Grinch, who's having success and, and might someday, probably soon, become a head coach mm-hmm. uh, at SC. He's the defensive coordinator. There's just a handful of those guys. And uh, I think that that there have been very few that have impacted the game more. You need to think about concepts, too. To Full disclosure, I'm 34 years old. My knowledge level of offense in college football is exclusive to the 21st century. Like, I can't go back and watch. I can't go back and watch tape of the you know the early 90s. I just can't. But I know that what's taught in the air raid system: shallow cross routes, slot fades, bubble routes, mesh routes, um, man beaters versus zone beaters, sitting up shallow cross and zone, reading the middle of the field, like a lot of things that are used. Back shoulder passes. That was a big thing that they did uh, there in the in the red zone. Uh, Crabtree back shoulder pass in 2008. I mean, there there are so many things that I don't know if they were initiated by the air raid offense, but they were worked to perfection with the air raid offense and became a bigger part of what people did in other styles as well. So um, both him and Hal Mummy. Uh, obviously they, they changed the game and, and I think it's, it's been phenomenal to see the adaptation now beyond that. And you have to be quote air raid certified, right? Like how mummy sends you a certificate, you become air raid certified. And the fact that Mike Leach is not air raid certified, uh, to me is even more hysterical, uh, but to see how it's evolved now into being able to incorporate the run and things like that. And then at a slightly lower level, it's cool to talk about how the concepts have worked their way up with Cliff Kingsbury and, and others now at the NFL level. But what is even cooler to me is that how it continued to work its way down. And so many of us self-included, I learned football by learning the air raid, uh, and to see how much it's being run at offenses throughout all high schools, not just in the state of Texas, but everywhere. Um, so you're taught the game because you learn the air raid. And I, I think that that will long be his legacy is that so many of us, those that go on to college, NFL, whatever, but so many of us learned the game in high school 
And we learn it through the prism in which we run that spread air raid style of attack. And and that I think is is pretty dang cool. Well, great. I think that's a nice way to, to wrap up here. Appreciate you cutting out a few minutes from your uh, busy day to reflect back on uh, Mike Leach, who's left us too soon at the age of 61. Uh, we'll be back later in the week on the College Game Day podcast.